This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. All right, today I am joined by Ryan X. Charles, and I'm really excited about this episode. Ryan is somebody who I feel like I know him, even though we've never met personally or or even really corresponded besides uh, the email when I asked him to come on. But ever since I heard him on Steve Patterson's podcast, giving the best explanation I've heard to date on the Bitcoin scaling debate, and if some of you are at least a little bit familiar with that. Uh, if you're not, go check out the episode we did with Roger Ver, where we touch on that a little bit, but also definitely check out Ryan's appearance on the Steve Patterson podcast. But I thought that was such a great explanation. So I started following this guy, Ryan X. Charles on Twitter. He's got a name that sounds like he should be heading up a band of mutants or superheroes. It's just amazing. Uh, and I found the YouTube channel where he's got some great videos And it led me to, and I kept seeing in his byline, uh, founder of yours.org. And he didn't really talk about that much on Steve's podcast. But so I I wind up over at yours.org and it is an amazing platform. We're going to talk about it here that uses cryptocurrency to enable micro payments for content creation. And we'll talk a lot about that, but really became fascinated with the whole platform, all the things that are possible with it, um, and a lot of the work that Ryan's doing. So was was thrilled when he agreed to come on the show. So with that set up, Ryan X. Charles, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Isaac. Very happy to be here. So we got to start first with your badass name. What does X stand for? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So actually, the name is a pseudonym. Uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and share the, the top secret real name. My real last name is Dick Herber. And the, the story is just a little bit silly, but it's just when I switched my careers from physics to Bitcoin in 2013, I basically adopted, you know, a, a, a sort of handle or pseudonym as a better public facing name than my legal name. So the X doesn't actually stand for anything. That's even better. <laughs> it is just an X. <laughs> <laughs> it's even better. I, I love it. And, you know, that actually brings up a kind of a fun point of this whole world, emerging world of cryptocurrency, which I believe is and will continue to displace kind of Wall Street and traditional finance. And the differences are so extreme. You've got people who wear suits every day, very formal, credentialed, this whole sort of institutional financial world. And then you've got this this cryptocurrency world where there's literally some of the most like influential now, some of the wealthiest people on the planet no one actually knows their real name. They're like, they're like, you know, they have these crazy Twitter handles or they're on Reddit forums. And these are some of the most influential people in, in the emerging world of, of cryptocurrency, uh, which is just absolutely fascinating. I love it. It's a wild, wild adventure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's part of this whole world of, you know, cryptography. It, it dates back to at least as far back as the, the cypherpunks in the 1990s. Uh, it's really amazing to see this stuff become real uh, since Bitcoin was was launched. What what would you say if people are interested in kind of the history of the cypherpunks and and the origin of this stuff in the '90s, kind of using technology to enhance freedom, to escape or help others escape from you know oppression of various forms? What what have you found to be the best resource? I, I read the book Digital Gold, which was a good intro to kind of the history of Bitcoin. And there's a there's a Netflix documentary that's a good basic intro as well. Do you have anything that you would point people to if they want to get into kind of the history of that? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I don't have any specific books to recommend, but I would say probably the top thing that's worth knowing about is the history of PGP because PGP is so relevant to what's now going on. So PGP was this tool for encrypting email uh, that was launched. I forget exactly what the time frame was, but it was something like the early 1990s. And it was actually illegal uh, to export this software outside of the United States because it was against some uh, you know, United States Department of Defense, something or other. Uh, and so there was this big legal battle that occurred to make it possible for software to just be distributed to do things like encrypting, uh, you know, information. Uh, so that really, that that's a sort of a key moment in the history of the, the cypherpunk world uh, that's worth studying. But I don't have any particular books. I'm sure there are some on that, though. Okay. Yeah, it's... Really, really a fascinating thing. And that's what initially got me excited about Bitcoin was just the the ability to break free from incredibly destructive financial monopolies, uh, you know, government printing presses and all these things. And, and in the U.S., it's easy for people to kind of poo poo that. Um, but if you if you've seen, you know, I mean, different eras in, in our own history, but if you've seen other countries suffering with you know massive hyperinflation, et cetera, um, the more you dig into it and you understand that basically all wars are <laughs> are financed through inflation and, and having control of the money supply is such a a key and really insidious thing. Um, that's what initially got me excited. And of course, there's all these other things that have sort of spun out of this whole world of cryptocurrency. Some people are just in it for investment sake and all this other stuff. So take us back to when you first got into it. I know you mentioned you were pursuing a PhD or you have a PhD. Um, and at some point you got turned on to, to cryptocurrency and this whole sort of blockchain technology. When did that happen and, and why did that happen? Yeah, so I discovered Bitcoin in early 2011, uh, and as you said, I was getting a PhD in physics, uh, which has nothing to do with Bitcoin. You know, <laughs> uh, so what made me interested in it? Well, uh, you know, when I first of all, so I discovered Bitcoin when I saw an article on Hacker News, and I have been a very technical person my whole life into computers, programming since a young age, and I just saw an article about it in early 2011, and I had ignored it up until that point thinking that it was just some startup company that was competing with PayPal, and I just wasn't interested in that. And finally, I read an article about it that described it as this decentralized money, and I thought, wow, that sounds amazing. That could be the type of thing that could you know, fix the financial system. Um, and the reason why I, was, I thought that maybe the financial system needed fixing was just because I lived through uh, the 2008 financial crisis, and it struck me that a lot of the stuff that went on, such as, you know, the government bailing out, uh, you know, the banks, uh, it seemed corrupt. It seemed like something is broken here, although I didn't really investigate it in detail and didn't know that much about the financial system. I just had this uneasy feeling that something is broken with the financial system and maybe there's an opportunity for something new. So anyway, I discovered Bitcoin and I just became obsessed with it because it was so fascinating and, you know, it, it seemed to be. It seemed to have extraordinary potential. It seemed like it really could be uh, the, the type of technology that could completely revolutionize not even just the way the financial system works, but the way that <clears throat> human collaboration works. And that's kind of a broad thing, but you know, you can do a lot of other things besides just send money around. You can do advanced contracts uh, with other people using Bitcoin and related technologies. 
So uh, for a while, Bitcoin was just a hobby of mine. I was interested in it sort of I was on the forums and I bought and sold Bitcoin and stuff like that. Um, and then in 2013, uh, Bitcoin had grown enough by then that I ultimately decided to leave my career in physics and go full time Bitcoin. And that was just because, you know, it was, it was basically big enough that you could have a job doing Bitcoin stuff by 2013. And uh, it seemed like, you know, this was my chance to be on the ground floor of this new emerging industry and really have, uh, you know, a, a good career for myself. And meanwhile, physics was kind of seeming like maybe a mistake, basically because, I mean, it's a long story, uh, but, you know, a, a career in academic physics is extremely competitive. And uh, basically, there are there are not enough jobs for all the people that want to do that. So I was looking for an alternative, and this seemed like a great alternative. So that's how I got interested in it. Um, and there's there's more to the story, but uh, maybe you have different questions to ask. Well, yeah. So did you have, you know, when you say you decided to, to go work in Bitcoin full time, what does that mean? Did you have programming skills and you said, okay, I, I can go be a developer working for a, a company that's trying to, you know, build something around the Bitcoin technology or um, I can, I'm going to go day trade. Uh, I mean, there was only Bitcoin, really, maybe Litecoin back then. So there wasn't all these these altcoins. What, what do you mean by get, have a career in Bitcoin? And what was that first step once you left uh, academia? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. So <laughs> so what happened was in, in early 2013, uh, the, the price of Bitcoin went up spectacularly. There were a bunch of companies that started getting venture capital funding in Bitcoin, companies like BitPay and Coinbase uh, and a handful of others I can't remember right now. Uh, but a few companies got funding and it was like, wow, this is real. Like this isn't just some toy. This is actually happening. And I went to uh, the San Jose Bitcoin conference in early 2013 and I got back from that conference and I was so motivated about Bitcoin that I went to my advisor and I said, his name is Jim. Hey, Jim, uh, you know, look, uh, I, I have such and such work left to do on my Ph.D., but I'm extremely motivated about Bitcoin. And what I want to do is, you know, hide my time between finishing my Ph.D. and, uh, you know, doing Bitcoin stuff. And so I became part time Bitcoin. He amazingly agreed to that and thought that was a fine idea. <laughs> but basically what ended up happening was I never went back to academia. I basically just started doing Bitcoin stuff full time. And so I didn't know exactly what that meant or what I was going to do. Uh, and I just sort of considered all my options. I considered starting a business. Um, but I did have programming experience. Um, I, I have quite a lot of experience you know, writing software uh, of all sorts and all sorts of experience with technology, just basically because it was a, a passion of mine since I was a, a child. Uh, and so it, it became clear that actually getting a job as a developer was a pretty good idea. Uh, so I ended up joining BitPay. Uh, as an engineer, and I moved to Atlanta, and uh, so that's how I got my start in a in a Bitcoin career. BitPay is such a great company. They're actually they were one of the earliest uh, Praxis business partners, and we've we've placed some apprentices there. We had uh, Stephen Pear, one of the co-founders, come and speak at our Praxis weekend last year, and I'm I'm such a big fan of theirs. So it's it's cool. I actually didn't know that you had worked at BitPay. Um, that's that's a cool cool connection. Okay, so you're working at BitPay, which is you know essentially helping businesses adopt Bitcoin or, or use Bitcoin uh, to be able to accept it and and use it for you know transactions. 
And at what point, because I know reading through trying to scour the web and, and unlock the mysteries of Ryan X. Charles, that at one point you were working for, or I don't know if this was paid or if it was an open source thing, but for Reddit, trying to basically get Reddit to adopt a crypto, a Bitcoin-based monetary system instead of just Reddit Karma, which is just a, a sort of fun, it's like likes on Facebook, to actually put some prices involved, monetary value. When did that happen? Yeah, great question. So it is totally for real. It sounds bizarre <laughs> that it, that maybe there's something like it's, you know, it's not a real thing or something, but it was actually a real job. I was actually the cryptocurrency engineer at Reddit. So how this, how this happened was as follows. Um, so I was working at BitPay. Uh, during my time at BitPay, they decided to move me to San Francisco. So BitPay is based in Atlanta, uh, but they started a new office in San Francisco and they moved me out there to basically be the lead developer of that office and help recruit new engineers that were located in the Bay area uh, to work at BitPay. So I ended up in San Francisco. And then what happens is when you, when you go to San Francisco as an engineer, basically, uh, you know, there's a, there's a very strong, you know, like uh, recruiting environment. So people were constantly pinging me trying to get me to, to quit BitPay and come join some so, other. So company. you're trying to poach other companies, you know, yes. programmers <laughs> at the same yes. time they're trying to poach you. It's as <laughs> exactly exactly. So, you know, it's a good environment for engineers, uh, but but I also didn't really want to leave BitPay. I mean, I like BitPay a lot. and It was a great company to work at. However, uh, one of the companies that tried to recruit me, so I was just contacted by a recruiter. Uh, I guess I won't say his name. It doesn't matter. But a recruiter contacted me from Reddit. And I thought, well, huh, that's interesting. And and the job description was cryptocurrency engineer <laughs> and, you know, what the cryptocurrency engineer is going to do. Now, Reddit had announced uh, – so the, okay, so the CEO at the time, was name, name was Yishan. Yishan was a CEO. Uh, they probably had about 70 people at that time. They were headquartered in San Francisco, but they did have a number of remote employees. They were something like two-thirds remote, but like the the one-third uh, sort of uh, more like the executives were based in San Francisco. And uh, so anyway, uh, Yishan uh, – so I, I met Yishan uh, and uh, had, a, had a great lunch with him. And I thought, well, okay, well, this is an opportunity for me to meet the CEO of Reddit. So what, what do I want to tell him? Like whether I ultimately take the job or not, uh, you know, what am I going to say to the CEO of Reddit? So I decided to pitch him on what you need to do is you need to decentralize Reddit. You know, you need to take this, this centralized application and somehow make it decentralized so that, you know, uh, it's, it's fully trustless and permissionless the same way that Bitcoin is. Um, so he really liked that idea, and this idea involved, you know, using cryptocurrency uh, for payments in the app, which we can come back to later because that's the the business I'm working on now. Uh, but anyway, you know, we basically we clicked. Uh, it it seemed like you know this was going to happen. We're going to do something really cool involving cryptocurrency at Reddit, uh, and so I decided. You know, so that so I interviewed with other engineers and whatnot, and they gave me an offer, and I decided to leave BitPay and join Reddit. So now the story just gets really weird. And to be honest, I don't even remember all the details anymore, but I did do a, a podcast uh, with Let's Talk Bitcoin where I, I sketched out the details of everything that happened. But basically, Reddit was going through a lot of drama at the time. And uh, the CEO, Yishan, resigned after I was there for about a month and a half. Hmm. So he resigned soon after I joined. And because he was the one driving this cryptocurrency project, 
uh, it just kind of died. So I, I was working with one other person at Reddit whose name is Daniel uh, on this project. And basically the new leadership that took over had their hands full with just sort of, you know, recovering from the fact that the CEO just resigned and they're going through all this drama. And they didn't have time for a cryptocurrency project, which was just too weird. It seemed too expensive. Uh, so uh, they, you know, I was laid off is what ended up happening. And I had to go do other things. So, you know, the, the project at Reddit was real for a brief period of time. Uh, I think it's a big missed opportunity. It would have been cool to keep doing it at Reddit. Uh, but at the same time, the the people that took over were probably right to end the, the the project just because they genuinely did have their hands full with lots of other stuff at Reddit that was really higher priority than, than the cryptocurrency project. It would be very interesting if Reddit revisited it, that project now, though. Uh, but I don't know. I, don't, I no longer have any inside information or any connections at Reddit, so I don't know what they're doing anymore. Uh, but yeah, so unfortunately, that project didn't happen at Reddit. But it certainly had an influence on me and uh, and what I would you know pursue later on. Yeah, so you you definitely got that taste of here's here's a whole new vista opened up by Bitcoin that's not so much about you know uh, replacing the you know not so much the currency angle as I mean it is it's related but micro payments and how that can alter the way that content is created and consumed online and there's so many aspects to that when did the idea is that when the idea for yours was born when you when you left reddit and were like i still want to do something like this was you you just kind of like sit on that for a little while or or how did how and when did yours come about yeah so uh, after I left Reddit, I joined a company called BitGo uh, as an engineer. So I worked there for a while. And, but I, this project was sort of in the back of my mind. And basically, here's how I see it. I mean, you can just sort of brainstorm the number of things you could do with cryptocurrency or cryptocurrency-like technologies in social media. And it would really be amazing to see all these things happen. There are so many things. Um, so, you know, the internet or the web is primarily funded by ads and then to a lesser extent subscriptions. Uh, so for instance, uh, you know, Google and Facebook, the biggest companies are funded almost entirely by ads. Uh, many of the other content, you know, creation platforms, uh, like newspapers and so on, uh, usually earn some money from ads and some money from subscriptions. Um, but this idea of micropayments had been around since uh, at least as far back as the 1990s and no one had ever, really given a genuine try at this. Now, this is kind of a, a subtle point, but we now actually have genuine peer-to-peer micropayments. It didn't used to exist. All the things that people had tried beforehand were were incomplete in some way. So for instance, uh, usually they had to require KYC AML to like, you know, cash in and cash out. So you'd have to hook up your bank account and, you know, it'd be like this lengthy process of like, you know, registering who you are and being able to cash out often actually before that, before people even hooked, you know, linked into the banking system, they would actually like mail you a check. So a lot of these services, like in order to cash out your money, uh, you would, they would accumulate funds for you. And then if you earned over $25, they would physically mail you a check, you know, every month. I think uh, I've so heard just- YouTubers, I don't know if they still do this, but say that like, 
yeah, you get a check mailed to you <laughs> from, yeah. which just seems absolutely absurd when you, when you think about it. What, what is KYC AML? Okay. So KYC AML just means know your customer anti-money laundering. So these are just a series of regulations around, uh, basically many businesses that involve money, uh, have to be worried about things like terrorism, uh, or various other crimes, uh, including money laundering. Uh, so you have to comply with the regulations. And so those regulations are called KYC AML. And gotcha. this is significant because, uh, the regulations are not trivial to comply with. You have to get lots of licenses. So for instance, uh, uh, a lot of businesses have to get something called a money transmitter license, which is very expensive. It it's, it's depends on the state. So you have to get it in all 50 states if you want to actually service all 50 states plus the rest of the world. Um, and that's expensive uh, to get. It's expensive in terms of money. It's expensive in terms of time. Uh, and you have to comply with it. And the compliance is, is hard. I mean, you have to you know make sure that your business is compliant with what the regulation says. Um, and that's just one example, but there are, there are just the, just the liability of handling all that money for, for customers having access to bank accounts and everything is, you know, a pretty, a pretty huge obstacle to any kind of platform that relies on a network effect of thousands or, or millions of users to, to want to be, you know, having them all transact constantly with these micro payments. Right. Right. I mean, you know, imagine, any social media network, right? Like you sign up with Facebook, for instance, the amount of information you have to give them to sign up is pretty low. Now, of course, Facebook is, you know, has a lot of info. So over time, you end up giving Facebook a huge amount of info, but it's not like a barrier at sign up. You know? So imagine at sign up, you have to trust this company so much that you give them your bank account details. Uh, you know, that's a, it's a huge you know, barrier uh, for like a social media app, not to mention. So the other flip side of this is that you pretty much can't do micropayments with traditional with the traditional banking system. Um, no one supports it. For instance, PayPal simply doesn't support micropayments. I mean, even if you sign up for a, for a PayPal account, you can't just send 10 cents to somebody because the minimum fee on PayPal is 30 cents. So you pretty much can't do micropayments with the traditional banking system because Basically, the fees are too high. So that's one of the remarkable things you can do with Bitcoin, at least in the early days of Bitcoin. And that's, you know, I don't know how much we'll touch on the block size drama, but in the early days of Bitcoin, it became possible to do uh, micropayments. And that was actually one of the use cases. But the infrastructure in the early days, say from 2009 to 2013, 2014, was so uh, immature that that it was extremely hard to like make a business around Bitcoin. Um, so what's happened in the meantime is basically two things. Um, first of all, Bitcoin itself became too expensive for micropayments. I mean, you'd be crazy to use Bitcoin, uh, in my opinion, for almost any use case uh, right now. Uh, but there are alternatives based on Bitcoin, so particularly Bitcoin Cash, which allow micropayments. So you can actually send somebody 10 cents with Bitcoin Cash and the fees are less than one cent. So the fees are something like 0.5 cents. So that means you're paying about a, uh, let's see, that would be a 5% fee on a 10 cent payment, which is acceptable. And then if you send somebody $1, uh, you know, the, the fee is less than 1%. So you can send very, very small payments with Bitcoin Cash. And it's, you know, it's, it's more than competitive. I mean, basically, there's, there's almost no other way to do it. 
in order to make micropayments possible on Bitcoin, uh, and this is, again, this is a long story, but I'll just give a brief version of it. My co-founder and I spent a huge amount of time trying to make this work on Bitcoin by developing payment channel infrastructure. And you can reduce fees a little bit uh, using payment channels, but really you need something like Bitcoin Cash, which is simply low fees on chain. So when Bitcoin Cash launched, it was a huge deal for us uh, to be able to uh, switch our infrastructure to using Bitcoin Cash. And then basically our payment system was just solved and we now actually have uh, you know, reliable, low-cost transactions so that we can start working on all these other things uh, on our platform and, and making this stuff uh, work for real. It's amazing. I remember um, <clears throat> when I read uh, the book of Satoshi, which includes the, the original white paper for Bitcoin, and then all these kind of email correspondence and forum posts from the early years by Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever that person is who created or multiple people, not sure, Bitcoin. And one of the things mentioned in like one of the emails or something is, yeah, I could see, you know, people who are really busy or really famous who get too many emails setting up something where you have to pay. And if you pay a certain amount, they will read and respond to your email. And I mean, it was like, that's such a cool idea. And I started to think about, um, you know, the ability to, to create, you know, market incentives for opening emails, responding to emails. I know that there are people with web browsers out there that are trying to do this with basically you get paid to view advertisements, uh, which we, you know, apps and stuff will do this now, like watch this ad and you get like 10 free tokens to use inside the app or whatever. Um, and you start to think about all the things that can happen if you have micro payments. And so I actually, that's part of what led me to yours as well. Cause I went poking around. I thought, I thought for my own, you know, personal blog, I never have comments enabled because you usually don't get many or else you get like crappy spammy ones. But I was like, what if I had like, if people could pay two cents to leave their two cents, like <laughs> what, just, just to filter out the pure crap and just that tiny bit of skin in the game incentivizes people to like, and I was like, that'd be a really cool app. Like, how could that be doable? And I went poking around and this is when this block size, the scaling debate was not yet. You know, I don't think Bitcoin cash had forked yet. And I asked some guy and he's like, oh, you could never do it because the fees are too high. And I'm like, well, what about a different coin? He's like, all other coins are crap. Like, is this like Bitcoin maximalist <laughs> type guy? And then later I went back to him when Bitcoin cash forked off and he like was saying, so I don't know, he was like ripping out of all these derogatory. But anyway, in this process of looking around, somebody has built the email app, by the way, it's called earn.com. I've, I've set it up. I haven't done anything with it, but where you can basically charge people to, you know, charge to, to open and respond to emails or, or try to contact busy people. But I found yours and I was like, this is it. That's they're doing it. And, um, it really helped me understand the, the scaling debate, which is now sort of represented by Bitcoin, uh, core versus Bitcoin cash, your article on why yours first, you were using Bitcoin and then you switched to Litecoin and then you switched to Bitcoin cash when it became available. And Better than any argument, and I'm telling anybody out there listening, is go to yours.org, set up an account, and you know what? After you create an account, email me, Isaac at discoverpraxis.com, your your profile on yours. I will go and I will tip you your first one dollar in Bitcoin Cash, and that will let you vote and publish articles and whatever. And just using it, just the feeling of clicking vote for 10 cents or publish for 10 cents, or you see somebody paid you two cents to comment on your article or whatever. It's like you get it. 
you like you you get it. You don't need to read a white paper to understand how cool this is, and you start to see all the profound effects spin out of it. So anyway, there's my little my little soapbox. Um, so so you had this idea. You were interested in it. Micropayments were now possible. When did when did yours.org get off the ground? Yeah. So in the summer of so it's actually pretty old. So it's actually at this rate, it's let's see, it's about two and a half years old now, even though we only just launched. So I'll, I'll tell the story in a nutshell. Uh, in the summer of 2015, um, Reddit was still going through a lot of drama, and this was after I had left Reddit. Uh, and I wrote an article called Fix Reddit with Bitcoin. And this is just like the article was just me revisiting, you know, my time at Reddit and all these ideas I had about how to use Bitcoin to solve problems uh, with social media. And my article was pretty popular. And I realized, you know what, there's a real audience here uh, of people that would love to see something like this exist. And uh, so I decided, you know, after some time to leave my job at BitGo and just start pursuing this project full time. And it's similar to like when I left my PhD uh, to get into Bitcoin, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Same thing here. I just sort of like, I, I just have to do this somehow. And so I left my job without really a concrete plan of what I was going to do. Uh, but what ended up happening was, uh, so we had sort of an open source project for a while where we just developed some basic infrastructure, but then it became clear that basically, you know, we needed to have a real business here so that we can fund the project and, you know, uh, you know, first of all, you know, presumably either raise money or earn money or something just to fund it as well as to just to pay ourselves so that we can, you know, continue to work on it and so on. So eventually it became a, a business. I found a co-founder whose name is Clemens. Uh, Clemens has a PhD in computer science from Oxford, and he had done basically very similar projects. And he came to me because he was interested in this and wanted to sort of join. And so we decided to co-found the business together in early 2016. And then what ended up happening was, so we had this sort of basic infrastructure. We had one or two prototypes, but the problem was that the fees were too high. <laughs> so we couldn't like, you know, we, we weren't really achieving the mission because if you just used Bitcoin as is, the fees were just too high. And it's really funny actually in hindsight because in early 2016, around the time of our, our first prototype, uh, the fees were about five cents for a transaction, which was too high. We right. thought, well, you can't send like a one cent payment, you know, with a, with a five cent fee. So we decided to go off and build this payment channel infrastructure because we knew that it was theoretically possible uh, to use payment channels, which is a, a sort of another layer on top of Bitcoin, uh, to allow most transactions to be off-chain, uh, which would lower the fees. So we spent a huge amount of time developing payment channel infrastructure, uh, something like a year or a year and a half total of our lives, Clemens and I, uh, writing this software, making it work. We had it working. We had routed payment channel technology working in early 2017 that substantially reduced fees on Bitcoin. But the problem is that the fees on Bitcoin kept rising and they got so high, uh, they got up to from five cents in early 2016 to about five dollars in early 2017 that were like, well, our technology actually doesn't work for this. Like hmm. literally the cost of opening a payment channel, because you have to pay a fee to open a channel. So hmm. like the minimum cost is at least one transaction. And really it's actually several and really the transactions tend to be larger than average for technical reasons. So $5 is like a minimum 
fee to like just begin using the thing. And we're like, well, that's just too expensive. So that's why we ended up switching to Litecoin because Litecoin is uh, technically very similar to Bitcoin. So we were able to switch all of our technology to Litecoin. But actually it turned out that Litecoin had the same problem uh, because fees on Litecoin uh, were, again, <laughs> they were about five cents uh, in early 2016. And the price of Litecoin actually kept rising. It didn't rise that much at first, but then uh, later this year, it actually, or sorry, later last year, late, late 2017, it started rising spectacularly. And due to just certain design decisions on, on Litecoin, the fees are actually somewhat higher on sort of a, uh, it's hard to describe, but so blocks aren't full on Litecoin, but actually the fees are still high because they have a, a minimum uh, transaction fee for relaying that's kind of high. So anyway, the fees ended up being high enough that it, our technology still worked, but it still wasn't ideal. And then Bitcoin Cash launched and Bitcoin Cash uh, just has low fees on chain. So we actually didn't need the payment channel technology at all. And again, Bitcoin Cash is so similar to Litecoin and Bitcoin that we were able to easily pivot our infrastructure. It only took maybe one day or so to change things to make it work on Bitcoin Cash. Uh, and we were able to, and this is, this is you know, it's, uh, it's, it's very technical, it's, but, you know, we spent all this time developing the, the payment channel technology and we had to sort of swallow our pride and just archive all of that stuff because we didn't need it anymore. And I wrote an entire article called... Uh, why we switched from Litecoin to Bitcoin Cash, where I go over all, all of the subtle sort of complexity of making payment channels work well for end users, and it's extremely hard. And we had we had probably about 50 to 75% solved it, but not 100%. So the fact that we were able to archive the payment channel technology and use on-chain Bitcoin Cash transactions made our lives so much easier that we finally were able to actually launch the product for real uh, in, in uh, August of 2017. And then what we've been doing since then is basically experiment with uh, different payment models. Like, like uh, you mentioned the paid comments. We thought that was a cool idea and no one had ever tried that before. So why don't we try this? Let's, I mean, we have a payment system in the app so we can do paid comments. So basically that's the mode we're in now. We finally have all the pieces working. We were actually the first company to switch to Bitcoin Cash. If you look at all the companies out there that use cryptocurrency and things, um, we were the first one to switch. There were a few wallets, of course, and exchanges that, that supported it first, uh, but they support many cryptocurrencies. We were the first one to switch exclusively to Bitcoin Cash. And since then, you know, a, a bunch of other companies have added support for Bitcoin Cash. And I expect some of them over time to eventually fully switch, like BitPay, for instance. Uh, BitPay uh, still, you know, they've committed to supporting Bitcoin Cash. What I think will happen there is Bitcoin no longer makes sense for payments. So whenever you want to actually pay for something, if BitPay supports Bitcoin Cash, you're probably going to use that anytime you're using BitPay. So I, I think BitPay is an example of a company where their volume will probably switch over time. Uh, from Bitcoin to Bitcoin Cash. So anyway, so that's how we got here. I mean, so this, the you know the the project goes back two years, more than two years, about two and a half years, and we've somewhat been intrinsically due to the nature of of what we're trying to do here by having low fee payments in a social app. We've been tied up in this Bitcoin block size debate uh, this whole time, 
you know, a trying to to lower fees on Bitcoin through technical means, and then eventually basically just giving up on Bitcoin and switching to this this new technology, Bitcoin Cash, which just makes our lives way easier and allows us to to move more quickly on the product. Well, what's kind of cool about that as as almost a a side effect, uh, I think any good startup, the 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 most likely way to succeed is to start with a really narrow, a, a niche market that you can dominate first. You know, Facebook started only with Harvard and then only Ivies and then only colleges. And you can sort of expand from there once you get like massive dominance of one really tight market and a, and kind of a cool thing that it, it doesn't seem like was, you know, originally part of the plan, but because you needed to switch to Bitcoin cash in order to make this micropayment powered social, you know, platform possible, People who are fans of Bitcoin Cash, who are fans of the idea of making Bitcoin usable for transactions and micropayments and, and scaling it in this way by raising block size, that's a that's a target niche. And whether you agree with them or not, it presents a really cool opportunity for yours to be like the place where those people who are big fans of Bitcoin Cash can go. And so you've got this little core of like Bitcoin Cash fans, maybe core isn't the right word to use, <laughs> Um <laughs> who are sort of some of the earliest users of yours. It's really neat. I mean, if you go to yours.org, you'll see a lot of the articles are about Bitcoin Cash and, and related things, but that's kind of a, a nice starting point. It's nice to have like one small niche that you can be, that you can really dominate and then you can sort of add from there. And there's more, I mean, every day, there's such a new platform. I check it pretty much every day. I try to post something most days just because I love using it. I think it's so fun. I support the, the idea of it so much. It's really cool to be there at such an early stage and to see like, oh, yesterday, you know, the front page was only articles about crypto. Today, there's like a bunch of drawings in the art section. There's somebody posting about something completely different. There's and you just kind of see like you kind of see things evolve from such a and it happens so fast. It's really cool to be a part of a social platform in the early stages. So give a quick breakdown of yours.org. What are the various, like, you know, what are the, where are the payments involved in the process? Um, because they, they are, you can earn money, you can spend money. Where and when do those happen? And what's kind of the logic behind that? And how do you feel it's, it's working so far? So it's kind of like somebody who's never heard of yours and they're like, what is it? Explain it to me. Give me the, the sure. elevator pitch. Sure. So first of all, what it is, is yours is just a social network with a built-in payment system and people can easily cash in, cash out instantly and for free, and you can send money to other people instantly and for free, you know, for basically zero cost. Most of the time, we do charge uh, some, th you know, some percentages and some amounts some of the time, but uh, it's always possible to send money to somebody else uh, completely for free, or almost for free anyway. Um, now, like, the, the, the basic idea was that, okay, um, gosh, if we could put payments in a social app, we could do things like as follows. First of all, can you ever think like has anyone ever pulled off a genuine paywall and i have to use tread lightly here as i explain this but um if you look at the way paywalls on the internet work they're almost always if not literally always a subscription wall where they're not asking you to just pay for the article uh they're asking you to sign up for a 25 dollar monthly subscription Oh, it drives um, me nuts. Once in a while, someone shares a Wall Street Journal article or something that I'd really like to read. I don't want to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. I hate the news. But every once in a while, there's an article I want to read. And I can't just pay for that one article. 
Exactly. Exactly. And we couldn't find that anyone had ever actually tried this before. Or if, if you do find it, you find little experiments where people had used Bitcoin before. For instance, uh, someone had tried this with the, the Chicago Sun-Times. They have tried this. Uh, they, they ran a one-day experiment. It was actually pretty successful, but for other reasons, they decided not to you know, continue it. Bitcoin was pretty small at the time. No one had it, uh, so they couldn't use it. But anyway, you know, that's just an, an idea. There are other ideas, too. So, for instance, you know, I, I have a fairly large profile on social media, uh, and because of this block size you know, debate has become very uh, sort of negative, I get trolled by people all the time <laughs> on social media. And I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if I could just charge money for people to like, you know, make a comment to me? So that way, like the trolls, if they still want to troll me, they'd actually have to pay me money to write something on my feed. Yeah, that way so, you don't you don't feed the trolls. The trolls literally feed you. They, they pay for you to, you know, eat breakfast. <laughs> exactly. So that was another thing we implemented was paid comments. The author can set a price for comments and you can set it to zero if you want to. Uh, so that would be like the way that every other social media platform works. Or you can set it to two cents uh, or you can set it to 10 cents or you can set it to several dollars. We've actually had our, our most successful user, Rivers and Mountains, has actually tried setting it to several dollars for some of his early articles. And that actually worked. People actually paid several dollars because they like him so much. Uh, they wanted to pay him several dollars to write a comment. So that's another idea. Um, I'll give you one more, which is the way our voting model works is as follows. So, you know, next to each piece of content, there's a button called vote and vote costs 10 cents and the 10 cents goes to each earlier voter. So when you click, suppose, you know, suppose you're the first person to vote, uh, then that money just goes to the creator. Uh, but if you're the, uh, uh, the, say the third person to vote, uh, then the first payment goes to the creator, uh, or sorry, the 10 cents are divided evenly so that, uh, the first 3.3 cents goes to the creator. The second 3.3 cents goes to the first voter. The second 3.3 cents goes to the third voter. And then I'm assuming you're the, you're the fourth, fourth voter. So the payments are distributed to earlier voters. So it's a little bit unusual. It's kind of hard to understand at first, but the idea is that, if you vote on content that's good early, uh, then you will actually profit from this. So it costs you 10 cents to make a vote. But if enough other people vote later on, you'll end up earning more money from that uh, than you paid. So the idea is to incentivize voting on content by giving people uh, a profit opportunity. Or it's almost like course, a curation reward. So like if you vote on good content that other people are likely to, to like – by voting, you're raising it higher up the chain on the homepage and letting more people see it. And if it's good, you basically get a reward for helping something become, you know, viral or popular. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that's the idea is that, you know, you can uh, curate the content on the site and make it better because you're bumping up high quality content uh, and you're financially incentivized to do so because if you're good at it, you'll earn money. Um, so, so you, so another, oh, oh go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to ask you about well, yeah, the other, just, you're, you're just, going uh, there already. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the idea here is like, look, there's, there are so many things we can do. It's actually frankly hard to focus because, <laughs> you know, no one has tried almost any of the things that we can now do in our app. Like no one's tried the voting model. No one's tried paid comments. 
we have like a dozen other ideas that no one has ever tried in the app before. So what we're really trying to do here is we think that the big sort of potential, the big opportunity here is to not just get people paid for creating content, but look at how people use other social platforms. Uh, it's not just the creators that are doing good work. It's all these other people, people that vote on content are actually creating value uh, by voting on things. People are creating value by curating a feed on, say, Twitter or whatever it is. They can retweet things. On Facebook, you can share things. These people are doing uh, work. And they're doing valuable work. In some cases, it's very valuable. There should be a, you know, a, a way for these people to be paid, and we can use payments to do that. You can just have the people who are making little payments to each other, and by being clever about who gets what, when, why, and so on, and how much they get, and who pays how much, and so on, um, we think we can solve all these problems, and we can get people paid for creating content, for discovering content, for moderating content, for editing content, for translating content. So that's the big picture here is, or to put it in, in, in sort of a, a, another, uh, in a, a different way, um, we're making a social media app with an economy. The users actually have real money and they can pay each other for the work they're doing, just like you would in the real economy, except it's on a social media site. So that's a, a different way of phrasing the big picture here about how much potential there is but it's there's a lot of work we have to do and a lot of bugs and so on and we have to uh, you know scale up, uh, but that's the idea. It's fun too that to be able to you have a category or a, I think you call it a community called Meta where people will sort of post ideas or bug fixes or whatever on hey it would be cool if you could do this and what's so fun at this early stages I've seen stuff posted on there and within within a couple of days the thing that was recommended has been done. And, that, and that's pretty cool. It's cool to see things when they're in such a such a dynamic phase. And it's like everybody's sort of discovering how to best use this platform at the same time, including, it seems at least somewhat, um, you and, and your co-founder and your team there. So what's the logic of, I, I think I know, but I want to hear your, your answer. The logic of the 10 cents you have to pay in order to publish an article. So if you want to, if you want to write something and publish it, um, you know, it's similar sort of to, uh, as in terms of an editor to like medium or something, but you have to pay 10 cents to click publish. And then you can charge for your article and you can charge for comments or not. And, you know, you can get money from votes, but you have to initially pay it to, to get it posted up there. What's the, um, what's the main reason for that? Yeah, so the main reason is very simple. When we first launched uh, back in August, we did not have that. Uh, we had, I think we had the voting model and we had the purchase model or the paywall, and that was it. Uh, what ended up happening was soon after we launched, we had a few people that would spam like high volume, low quality content. When I say spam, <laughs> I mean they literally would like write a bot that would post hundreds of you know, blank pieces of content or just individual sentences and things like that so that the whole app was just filled with, you know, just obvious spam content. Uh, so we thought, okay, well, you know, <laughs> we could we could handle this in like the, the same way that other social media websites handle this, which would be, well, maybe you let people post once per day. Maybe there's some reputation system or something like that that lets you post more or we could just charge 10 cents because unlike every other social media site, we actually have a payment system built in 
So what if we just charge 10 cents? What's going to happen if we just charge 10 cents for people to post content to the app? So that's what we did. We just did it as an experiment to see, uh, you know, can we eliminate spam by making a, you know, a small payment in order to post content? And the answer was yes. What, what immediately happened, of course, was the spammers went away because they don't want to pay 10 cents to post something. Uh, but the people actually cared posted stuff. And of course, if you have like a, you know, I mean, all you have to do is earn more than 10 cents and you earn your money back. So if somebody votes on your content, they comment on it, they purchase it or whatever, um, you only have to earn a very small amount of money to, to you know, to be back in the black and uh, to actually profit from your content. Well, and it's, it's small, but there's something actually really powerful from, from a user standpoint, even though it's only 10 cents. Having a tiny bit of skin in the game, okay, I've got to pay 10 cents to publish this. So when I first set up an account, I just put $1 of Bitcoin cash on it. And I told myself, if I can turn this $1 into more money uh, on here, then I'm doing something right. And so 10 cents was like, that's 10%. I only get to post 10 things and then I run out of money. So they've got to be good enough to earn me at least 10 cents back. And there's something that happens psychologically. I mean, I mean, people do the same thing on Reddit when the, the karma doesn't even, it's not even like liquid in the outside of, um, outside of, uh, Reddit. So there's something about knowing I've got something here. And also there's the visual thing where it'll say spent 10 cents. It will show how much you earned or spent. And like, you want it to show that you earn something. And so it incentivizes in a small way, it just incentivizes better content. And when you go to Facebook or Twitter or whatever, when everything's free, the content goes down. And this is what the core of what I love so much about yours. I'm so huge on markets and everything. And the more th- everything is rationed, whether we like it or not, everybody's economics is real in every context, even when there aren't prices, but non-price rationing is a lot less efficient. And when you get, especially things like voting, things that where people have their stated preferences and their revealed preferences are often something different. So like everybody would vote, you know, if they could vote what, what the grocery store should carry on their shelves, they would all say a bunch of stuff that's not, that they wouldn't actually buy, you know, and it would be a terrible way to manage a grocery store inventory because it's free to, to claim your opinion. But when money's involved, when you actually have to pay, you behave a little bit differently. And so having to like reveal your preferences is so powerful. And one of the small ways that I noticed the big difference in this between something like Facebook if you create something, a short article, a blog post, a comment, whatever, and it might get several hundred likes on Facebook and that will f- trick you into thinking this is really valuable and people, I'm creating a ton of value for the world. Now, sometimes it might be, but sometimes those might be likes. There's no weight behind them. A like is free. So that might be a hundred people who barely sort of kind of think, eh, that's okay. I'll give it a like. Whereas you might have something that gets two likes and you get depressed about it. But one of those likes might be like, wow, you actually changed my life entirely. You inspired me. I can't thank you enough, but there's no way to distinguish the weight of those likes. And I noticed this on yours when I've posted stuff and I, most of my stuff, I just post for free, just kind of like post it up there and people can, can comment or whatever. And they can also tip you just for whatever amount they want. You can, you can tip and some things that will get like one or two votes, so only a few people liked it enough to vote, but one person liked it enough to tip $10. And so it's like, I actually created $10 worth of value, but it was only for one person. Nobody else cared. 
And that's something so cool that you can't, you can't separate out on Facebook, right? It's like you either get a like or you don't. It's binary, and there's no way to measure the impact of that like. A bunch of cheap likes appear to make something more significant than one or two really, really, wow, I loved this so much. And that's just a, that alone is such a cool, subtle thing when you get sort of skin in the game and, and you got the, the monetary price involved, it kind of really changes the way that content is done and, and, and lets us see more clearly where value is created. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, we think we can actually improve the quality of content on the internet, you know, using this, this technique. I mean, you know, all the, like you said, the likes on Facebook or whatever, um, you can't distinguish when somebody actually really got something out of it. Uh, so the, the fact that people have to make a payment for that to show up on our app, you know, as you say, it's skin in the game and so on. We think that what's going to happen is, uh, the quality, like people will be able to see, you can see what earned money, uh, you can see what what does well and so on. We think what's going to happen is, uh, you know, people will, you know, will learn how to create higher quality content that actually earns money. Uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, we we think it it cre- it makes those likes uh, much more meaningful if uh, if it's actually a payment. Yeah, uh, fun little story. I'll I'll end on here. So my son. Um, He's trying to earn money lately and he's like, I don't want to mow lawns and whatever else. And I told him about yours and he's, he likes to write and, um, he, he likes to criticize, you know, critique movies and video games and whatever. And he was so excited. He signed up and now he's posting on there and he'll earn 20 cents, 50 cents, a couple dollars sometimes, um, you know, he's 12, his writing and grammar aren't always the best, but when he sees, okay, this isn't earning very much, he'll come and ask me like, Hey, would you edit this? And would would you help it? You know, I don't, I don't want, and then he'll get mad and be like, I don't want pity. I don't want people to pay me because they think it's cute that I'm 12. I want my content to be really good. And I'm like, well, you got to keep, I said, if I were you, I'd play it up. I'd be like, I'm a 12 year old, you know, get the money, get the pity money. People think it's cute, (laughs) you know, cash in on your cuteness. You can't do, but it's just so cool that he was like thrilled. He goes, I, I always, wanted. I never wanted to start a YouTube channel. It felt like a lot of work. It's getting really competitive. I don't know if that's my thing, but I like to write. He was starting to blog anyway. And just the ability to earn like a few cents a post or whatever it is. I mean, he, I think he, he got like 20 bucks last month total. And part of that was because the price of Bitcoin cash went up, which is also fun because now he's got a reason to pay attention to that. But it was just a really cool thing to see him get excited about that. And it's like, it's the real world. He's got to compete. Nobody's just going to give him stuff. Um, he's got to create good content. And some of the stuff he creates doesn't earn anything. And he sees that and he understands the feedback. And he's like, okay, people like this one. I should do more like this. Um, really, really cool. Ryan, where is the best place for people to uh, follow you, find out more about you? Sure. So I'm, I'm big on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is RyanXCharles. Uh, you can also just go to my website, ryanxcharles.com, and you can see all of my links to social media. Unfortunately, we don't have following yet on yours, so <laughs> you can't follow me on our platform yet. We'll hopefully implement that soon. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I would say Twitter is probably the best place if you happen to be on Twitter. Great. And as I said before, I, I mean this. Ryan is not paying me to say this or anything. I just think it's such a fun project. I, I love it. Go to yours.org, set up an account, and email me at isaac at discoverpraxis.com, a link to your profile and yours. 
I'll tip you your first dollar and you can get started. Start posting, start voting, experiment with it, play around with it. I think there is so much potential here, Ryan. I'm absolutely thrilled to see where this thing goes. And uh, I can't wait for the day when you improve the quality of content on the internet, because let me tell you, it's it's getting pretty spammy out there. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Isaac. This was This was fantastic. Absolutely, man. Hey, I want to tell you about two other podcasts real quick. The first is called Forward Tilt. Check it out. Five to 10 minute episodes about specific ideas to improve your personal and professional life. Basic thoughts, uh, concepts, just a single one in each episode boiled down real quick. If you like that five to 10 minute format, check it out wherever it is that you subscribe and listen to podcasts called Forward Tilt. Pretty good if I do say so myself. The second one is called Office Hours. It's TK Coleman, frequent guest of this podcast, and myself. And we spend about 30 minutes every week answering specific questions from specific people. Could be you if you send us a question about success in the workplace. Primarily primarily professional success for people sort of early in their careers. But it actually covers a pretty broad range. Anything from how to ask for a raise, how to impress somebody, how to know what kind of work to do, how to what to what to do when someone won't respond to your emails, anything like that. It's full of wit and wisdom that is characteristic of conversations with TK. Check out Office Hours and Forward Tilt if you like the kind of stuff on this show. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.